Welcome to Sick Burns, where two Gen X friends, a corporate PR pro and a college English professor, deliver choice critique on 80s songs. I'm Margaret. And I'm Elizabeth. Let's get into it today. Hi, Ben. Oh my gosh. I was just thinking a lot has happened in the world since we started recording this podcast. Oh my God. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Nuts. So for example, the seasons have changed a lot. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Which reminds me of that expose song. Seasons Seasons change. change. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I would have never thought of that. Yeah. Mm. Well, I have some updates. Is now a good time to yeah. bring them? They're related to some of the media we've discussed on this. This is this is podcast. the update portion of our show. So I think this is a perfect time for you to bring them up. Well, I have some commentary on the cult Nixium oh, and boy. the HBO documentary about it called The Vow. Yeah, yeah. I can't make as funny of jokes about the vow that there are on Twitter because I'm not a comedian. I didn't invent any of these jokes, but so I will trust listeners to go look them up. But the vow is bow fucking ring. I'm going to say it ultimately ends up a very boring documentary for a documentary about a sex cult. And I think it's because either there's a rush maybe to production to tell the story because it seems so... Is it salacious or lascivious? I don't know what the word I want is. Probably both, yeah. So I think there's been a rush to production and so maybe not like a careful telling of the story and also maybe like an over-reliance on the inherent super creepiness of the head of it, whose name Mm -hmm. is Keith Ranieri, and that creepiness is not in question. But maybe they are over-relying on it a little bit. So I don't know. And then also they just didn't know like what story they were going to be telling because there's one actress named Sarah Edmondson who's kind of come forward as like the main storyteller of this. Mm-hmm. Have you followed any of these stories at all? Um, just sort of in a tertiary way. Is this the daughter of Catherine Oxenberg? No, oh. but that's that's India Oxenberg and the, uh, and the documentary does turn to her. Got it. But it starts off about Sarah Edmondson, who has told the story of her being branded many, many times. She was, she's mm-hmm. one of the people who got, who was recruited into the sex cult and got branded. Mm-hmm. And she tells the story like a lot, 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 lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but there's not really much more to the story, it would seem beyond that. And then they, but then it turns to Catherine Oxenberg and I will say Catherine Axenberg, for some reason, ter- gets the help of, I would say, maybe like a kind of a sketchy PI type of person who lives where? Niagara Falls, New York. Mm. And it is not clear at all why Catherine Oxenberg sees in him. But she's talking to her mother, the princess of Yugoslavia, on the phone. Like, there's so many parts of the story that I feel like could be the bizarreness could be amplified a little bit and they don't even really bother. And so there's no like side commentary on the fact that she is descended from royalty. No, they just say, say that, that she is and that's it. Yeah. And then she's like on the, she's trying to rescue her daughter, but then that story just kind of tapers off because either she wasn't rescued in time to wrap up the production or she was, and then she, she, the daughter, didn't want to participate in it. And also, I will say, like, some of the other main players are kind of 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think they're victims, but they're kind of boobs too, a little bit. The one guy was in a cult before this cult. Oh, and then he joined this one too. And now all of he a sudden, he had that on he, his resume, and they were yeah, like, "See here, you have some cult yeah. experience. That's what we're looking for." Yeah, in our membership. And and so some of these people were adults who had educations and resources and were capable of making their own decisions. And it would seem they made it a super dumb decision. And I'm not a hundred percent clear that that is the same thing as uh, like mind control and as with other cults. Okay. So you're saying this is like a, like a class B cult. Maybe. And maybe that's the only kind of cult we deserve. So (laughs) what do you think are the elements that made it rise to interest? The fact that it included celebrities, minor celebrities. Okay. Okay. Because do you think that that it also is because they did such a good job with branding it with a cool ciphery name that looked Roman? Yes. Okay. And the sex part. Yes. Okay. Got it. But even with all these elements, you expected more from a sex cult documentary. I expected a lot more from a sex cult documentary. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to have to find you some different recommendations because I'm sure that there's one out there that would meet your needs. Has the algorithm on, on Netflix or wherever, like, or I guess this is an HBO, have have they come up with some good, like, if you like this Nexium documentary, The Vow, you would also like? Well, I will say I very much enjoyed the cult documentary on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. Mm, okay. And having seen that and then having read about Nexium in the news, made me real I was I was like primed for a documentary about the sex cult you mm-hmm. know like I would be the exact person you know that square in the middle of their target audience you know why meaning what because I read all the New York Times coverage of Nexium and because I enjoyed wild wild country and other oh like, oh cult. oh as a viewer of the documentary not as a member of the sex cult Correct. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Like I would be the hardest person to displease with a documentary about a sex cult. Okay, good. Got it. (laughs) For a minute that you meant like for the the ideal recruit for. No, for the viewership of the documentary about it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that they disappointed you. Maybe they'll try harder next time. Yeah. I just want to say one other thing that the cult leader, Keith Ranieri, one of the most hilarious and kind of creepy things that he did was have midnight volleyball games. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like the the crazy wacky thing that the dorky dorm in college did. We played volleyball at midnight. (laughs) And then we got pizza. For sure. I know. (laughs) It was so wild. Yeah. He wore, he had long hair and he wore a ponytail and a little sweatband on around the ponytail and like knee pads and everything. And all the like cult members would show up and try to play volleyball with them. Because in this sex cult, we take 
joint safety very seriously. <laughs> We've got to make sure we have the proper safety attire if we're going to play midnight volleyball. And that means your proper knee pads. <laughs> I've got one update for you, which I think is very interesting. And it is in the the file folder of famous Clevelanders, our hometown of Cleveland, oh. Ohio. I discovered <laughs> a new famous person from Cleveland that I beforehand did not know. I and, can't wait to find out who it is. And it's a pretty good one, I think. So we've talked about, you know, your Trent Reznor, Chrissy Hind, Tracy Chapman, some of these folks, Warren Zevon in a previous episode, but I follow the NPR station from Cleveland on Twitter and they were tweeting in support of an event that happened this week with former Clevelander, David Wayne, he of MTV's The State and writing really? a partner with Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black. Yes. Michael Ian Black. I know. Michael Paging Ian Black. Michael Ian Black. David Wayne is the one of yes. the writers and director of my favorite movie, Wet Hot American Summer, which is about summer camp. But then they also had a show called Stella. It was sketch comedy. And he also created the way underrated. So Wet Hot American Summer has since become like a cult classic. But he also directed a really hilarious movie called They Came Together, which is a bunch of alums from what hot American summer, including Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, who I am a big fan of. And I have not mentioned this on our podcast yet. We made it past 10 episodes before I tell the listeners that I went mm-hmm. to college with her. I knew that. I have other things that I think our podcast listeners deserve to know about you, but oh, I'm oh keeping God. that in my back pocket. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. So David Wayne, his father is a famous disc jockey. This is like 50s and 60s. And then he was in the radio business as a producer and I think music director and things like that for a radio station in Cleveland. And David Wayne grew, grew up going to a camp. I think it was a Jewish day camp in Chardon, Ohio, hmm. which you and I both know well. What? Yes. And that it was partially those experiences that, that he drew on for the material in Wet Hot American Summer, which is based at a camp. So a summer camp. So I thought that was very fun. It is so fun. And maybe we drove past his camp and didn't even know it. Although I guess he wouldn't have been going by the time we would be driving past Yeah, no, I think he was long gone. I think he's our age or maybe a little, maybe like a year older. What was the name of the camp? You didn't find that out, did you? I did, but I didn't write it down. Yeah, maybe Basil could look it up for us and Um, report back. Or... Or so, so here's helper. here is an article in the News Herald, where, which is a newspaper in Lake County that you and I both grew up reading. He's a Shaker Heights guy, much like Molly Shannon. The News Herald doesn't want to let me read it. Yeah, the News Herald can't afford to let you read it. Camp Wise. I never heard of it, but yeah, you're not Jewish. But I'm and not you Jewish. Don't live in I, I went to Pioneer Camp out near there in Burton, mm-hmm. which is right mm-hmm. next to Chardon, which mm-hmm. is about the most Ohio thing you could do in the summer. 
mm-hmm. go to a camp and learn how to be a pioneer where we made we we made homemade soap and we made homemade butter and we made homemade bread and then we yeah. decorated covered wagons <laughs> So, and while I was at adorable that camp, and horrifying at the same time, it? it's just yeah. very like specific and strange. Yeah. And a reporter took a picture of me uh, making a pinch pot at this, at uh-huh. this um, camp. Uh-huh. And I was on the front page of the news Herald. Oh, they should give you lifetime access for free then. Maybe I'll write in and tell them. So his dad was radio personality Norman Wayne, and he was hmm. on WDOK and WIXY, twelve sixty. Hmm. You know, just to interject, you're reminding me of another famous Clevelander that we haven't mentioned, which is Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you said that made me think of it was because his dad was a media, was a local media star, also because his dad was Goulardi, yep. which was sort of before our time, but nevertheless, I had certainly heard of him. And I felt like when Paul Thomas Anderson's film career was taking off, it was, it, you know, we we were reminded many times of his provenance. Many times, yes. And yeah. he is now the partner of Maya Rudolph, right? That's my understanding. This information caused me to unlock a joke that has long perplexed me mm. about Wet Hot American Summer because Amy Poehler and in his movie debut, a young Bradley Cooper, they play sort of like the theater counselors at the at the mm. camp. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. this movie? If I had. I think I have, but not for a very long time. But every time I speak to you, I make a mental note to watch it. Yeah, because every time I see you, I mention it. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Or I or I just remember that it's your favorite movie, and yeah. I feel like I could like feel a little bit closer to you if I watched yeah. it again. Yes, you could. Amy Poehler makes a joke in it, and she says, "You guys, this isn't the Cleveland Playhouse." It's because David Wayne yes, is from right. Cleveland. Yeah. That might have been a line he heard at his camp, even. <laughs> Maybe. You know, like a direct importation. You guys, this isn't the Cleveland Playhouse. This is yes. Chardon, Ohio. Okay. <laughs> Let's act like it. Get in your covered wagon and make some maple syrup candy. Damn it. Um, I just watched the state, you know, when the whole quarantine happened, I just went ahead and watched it again oh, did you? Where, just where a couple months ago. What's it streaming it's on? on a special. I don't totally understand it, but you know, Amazon has like a bunch of special channels, yeah. Amazon prime mm-hmm. that you have to subscribe to. They're sort of thematic. Like, and we did a horror one around Halloween where we watched a horror movie based on zoom, which was, mm-hmm. which was very fun. I don't even like horror movies, but it was very clever. It was called host. Oh, um, but this was a comedy station that I subscribed to. And I think it also might, it, I can't remember if it's like older comedy shows, like it had, maybe it had that. And uh, what was the David Cross and what's his oh, name? Oh, Mr. Show, show Bob Odenberg. Yeah, might've had that. You know what I mean? Like 90s sketch yeah. shows might've had those. Although it also might've had other state related material, including... Reno 911, which I loved when it was on. That was some folks from the state, Thomas Lennon mm-hmm. and Robert Ben Garrett. I don't know how you say his last name. And Carrie Kenny. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. So we rewatched the state. Ken Marino. Yeah. Love Ken Marino a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I love every single thing all of those people have ever done that I've seen. Agreed. Including, have you seen the Burning Love? No, but you have told me about it. And I feel like it's in my queue to watch so somewhere. So funny. Yes. I don't know where you would find it, but Michael Ian Black is the host, I believe, of at least one of them. They're so goddamn funny. They're just... He's one of the best parts of Wet Hot American Summer, in my opinion. The storyline yeah. with him and Joe Trulio, I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. Is yeah. so funny. Okay. Yeah. I promise to watch Burning Love if you promise to watch Wet Hot American Summer, which is- That is a deal. A shorter yeah. investment of time. It's only you know 90 minutes or something like that and has rocket music. Where can I watch it? Do you know? I'll find it. You don't have to know. You it's don't on have Netflix. to know. It's on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> because that's where they put the the second series that came out a couple of years ago. Well, as well as Burning Love, I, I would give you a choice between Burning Love and Party Down. You haven't seen Party Down, have you? I have seen, I think, half of the series of Party Down. And it's funny. Yeah. And it, it includes Adam funny. Scott, which he makes everything even better if it's possible. And Megan Mullally. I almost said Muggin Mullally. <laughs> That's probably what Nick Offerman calls her when she's Maybe. goofy. Yeah. Muggin. Muggin. Well, yeah, that I think that shows and the and the whole Ken Marino character there is extremely enjoyable with his he his name is Ron Donald and he's a boss <laughs> and he has a list of Ron Donald do's and Ron Donald don'ts. <laughs> so funny. He was calling people, Ken Marino on Twitter. He was saying like, let me know if you want a phone call, like in April. I, saw I tried. I tried. You did? You did call me. Yeah. We're doing everything we can to work our way into this friend circle. Right. Uh, and we yeah. will get, Good we will get luck. there. Mm-hmm. God damn it. I have other updates unrelated to any of these people. Yeah. Lay it on me. Okay. One is you may recall from a past episode that I reported that the first Karate Kid movie is without flaw. And I maintain that to this day. However, Karate Kid 2, a bit flawed. So I just want listeners who really rely on us for (laughs) solid information to know that their Karate Kid journey will not be totally smooth. Okay. What are your <laughs> issues with the second one? It's a little it's a little more contrived. The first one seems very I know this is just a mistake to say it about a Hollywood production, but it just feels a little bit more authentic. Like the second one, Danny LaRusso goes to Japan with Mr. Miyagi, mm-hmm. which is right for, and everyone's just as charming and adorable and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but right from the beginning you're like ah, really so the very premise itself I think and I feel like they tried to follow the exact precise story rhythm of the first one instead of like making a new story Mm -hmm. um, which I think was a mistake and that is not a mistake that they made with Cobra Kai the tv show update because they like kind of invented it a little more and took some liberties and that was what I think was called for well yeah they tried to follow a formula like the winning formula right. from the first one. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But I have additional Karate Kid updates. Okay. And one is that it turns out that maybe in the first Karate Kid, the there is maybe a storyline flaw because Danny LaRusso may not have had enough points to win the tournament at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've heard this criticism. 
So yeah, I just want, once again, our listeners to be aware. Okay. So it's, it's as close to perfect as any other movie we can think of, except for the math math problem. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's only a problem really, if you are like an astrophysicist. And other Mm -hmm. than that, I don't know that the rest of us need to concern ourselves with math too much. Yeah. It's also maybe only concern if you're a total jerk and your heart was not utterly warmed by the whole rest of the movie and like where you're like moved to tears. And so you're such a jerk that instead of like crying and rooting for Danny, you're counting. You're like, wait a second. Yeah, but that is not our listeners. Our listeners are not like that. It's they would going have open with hearts. Yeah. But I just want to acknowledge that. And along with the Cobra Kai, Karate Kid is overall having a moment because the evil sensei of the original Cobra Kai is in commercials. Have you seen this? Mm-mm. What are they commercials He's- for? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I don't even know. I, it's like that phenomenon where you see commercials and you remember the commercial, but you don't know what it's for because sure. they is he kind playing, of did. Yeah. Is he playing like himself or his character-ish? Yes. Sort of like a bad guy with his arms crossed? Yes. And he's wearing a karate outfit. And I got to say, the guy's in shape. He's like in the 70s or something. And wow. he's like. Still has Believable the guns, huh? as a sensei. Totally. Mm-hmm. Do you. And what he's got going for him is that he's so commanding and authoritative that you want to do what he says. So if he's like, buy these Doritos, you're like, yes, yes, sensei. Yes, but he's also a little bit obviously making fun of his character, in yeah. the, which makes it that much more charming. Good. You know? Good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You you should at this point. Like, in fact, I've heard of a lot of, there's one that I'm not remembering, but the one I am remembering is the country of Kazakhstan with upon the occasion of the second Borat movie mm-hmm. has decided to be in on the joke. Yes. So the first Borat movie caused some international relations snafus because people were offended about the portrayals of Kazakhstan and so forth. This time around, which is something like 14 years later or, some, mm-hmm. or something like that. Kazakhstan has now adopted their tourism slogan from Borat and the Kazakhstan tourism slogan now is very nice. (laughs) (laughs) And they spell it normally, but of course everyone would want to say very nice, (laughs) but, but that's their, you know, they have like a beautiful blue sky and mountains and it says Kazakhstan. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I know. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's beneficial to be in on the joke. Oh, I love it. Well, mm-hmm. they know they they know what they're doing and they are going with the flow. Maybe mm-hmm. people in Kazakhstan would enjoy our podcast because that seems to be our theme. Just go with it. Just Oh, yeah. Just Maybe. go with it. Yeah. And, Maybe and I'll work on some targeted marketing. Uh, yes. Over there. Yeah. Maybe that's our audience. <laughs> sure. They love uh, Western hmm. culture, right? And mm-hmm. uh, what if you lived in Kazakhstan, why wouldn't you want to go visit Ohio or hmm. Buffalo? Right. Let's, why wouldn't you want to go? I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Me either. Hmm. Have it all. Yeah. Right. Right here in, yeah. the, in the middle of the country. Yeah. North. There's some things I would north ca- of the middle yeah. of the country, but yeah. 
and a little a little east of it too. Mm-hmm. But I would probably counsel visitors from Kazakhstan to avoid certain things just to try to put the best foot forward, you know? In America but, or in like Ohio and Western New York? In Buffalo. Buffalonians have really terrible pizza that they are like maniacally attached to. Oh. And if any Buffalonian listens to this, I'm we might get some hate mail. Mm. But one of the features of Buffalonian pizza, which is so disgusting, is these little cups of pepperoni that become like little grease cups because they curl up when you cook them. Oh, yeah. And then the edges of them become blackened. And then they're like little cups of grease. And I like a blackened. I don't mind the char, but. uh, Sorry, you're saying you don't like this? That's you don't correct. like the curled cupped pepperoni? Correct. Oh, I rather like that. Well, so what allows a pepperoni to like stay flat? The idea is like get a bigger pepperoni slice. Perhaps that. I I can tell you I just read about a shortage of this special kind of pepperoni, mm. which I think they called cup and char. I believe it's called cup and char pepperoni. Oh. And there's a bit of a short, I don't know if it is in the cut only, but I'll just give you a clue that the shortage is because no one else wants this kind of pepperoni. (laughs) (laughs) And so they're not producing it. (laughs) No one wants it. There's, I guess, maybe a slowdown in overall pizza demand. Buffalo pizza places are having a hard time getting this. I know there's a lot of, the only part I totally get is that no one else wants it (laughs) yeah but there's a slowdown in demand seems crazy like there's a pandemic isn't we're at home eating through the roof like yeah yeah that's yeah that's i don't know jive for me but i Mm -hmm. I guess i can understand if you Mm -hmm. look at worldwide pork markets Mm. that might be the root of the issue I don't know mm. enough about this anymore, but like maybe there's something there. Maybe there's maybe. a there there, as we like to say in corporate America. Uh, it's one of my favorite corporate yeah. Americaisms. Maybe there's a there there. Wow, you know that's the title of a really great novel that I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity to recommend, but it's called There There, and it's by Tommy Orange. But wait, and is that how they this person means it, or do they mean yes. there there like comforting? No, it says that there's a there there. I do believe they mean to play on Tommy Orange. Perhaps means to play on it a little bit, like okay. co- in the comforting way. But for sure, the intention is is there a there there? It's the and, dumbest thing a person could say, I think. And yeah, I I play the mental bingo, you know, of the dumb things that people say um, to sound cool and part of the corporate club. And there's a there there is one of those that I think is like bonus points. What are some other ones? Like, let's just circle back. Does anyone say let's circle back? Yeah, all the time. But I mean, that's an obvious one. There's, they, I have a list of them somewhere. I write them down when people talk. I, I think our listeners look. deserve to know. Uh, listen, I'll work on that for next time. I'll bring a little right. list. Yeah. People don't want to hear me rifle through the papers, but I'll have Basil work on it for next time. I just want to mark, though, that our listeners should be clamoring 
at the little hint I dropped that there are things they deserve to know about you. And so I'm hoping that down the line, we're able to cover them. Okay. Maybe we'll do a specialty episode about each of our hosts. hosts. Yeah. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. I will look forward to hearing your creative ideas on that. And uh, I'll also be (laughs) slightly worried about them. Between now, and oh, the I next thought time you were going to give me a corporate speech. Yeah, no, you should. We'll be circle worried. back on that, and uh, more mm. to come is another mm. one that people say. More to come. Oh yeah, or do they say it is what it is? Yeah, uh-huh. people say that everywhere, though. Oh, okay. It's like a thing. I, wish I, I could guess. I'm on board with that one. I like. I like it as what it is. It's you know kind of circular. It's like a snake eating its tail and yet it has Mm. so much meaning Mm -hmm. it's a sort of radical acceptance type of thing yes exactly my dad's favorite book is the road less traveled by m scott peck Hmm. and the first sentence is something to the effect of life is difficult and once you accept that it gets much easier which is about that seems true yeah. That seems just true. I feel like also I wish my child understood that. Well, it might be one of those things that actually believing it to be true is the thing that indicates maturity. Uh-huh. Because when you're a kid and you've got some rose-colored glasses, if the adults in your life are doing their job well mm. uh, and not failing completely because everybody doesn't have this childhood experience, you don't know that life is hard. You think it's all Christmas and right, and you right. know just various holidays where candy is given to you, and then you have to endure the bits in the middle, um, <laughs> punctuated by candy holidays. I do feel like I know some adults who whose age number would indicate they should know better, you know, that (laughs) like they seem surprised about things that they shouldn't be surprised about or victims of their own choices somehow, you know? Yes. When the thing that they don't realize is that happiness is a choice. Right. It's not something given to you. And then you fill your head with, positivity and thoughts of resilience. And when things get hard, you say, it's not always going to feel this way. Tomorrow will be better. It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. Or else you think like the world is like fucked and it's in a toilet all the time. And so the only choice I have is to have fun and be happy in it. You know? Sure. That's more my, that's more my attitude. Sure. Sure. They share a little bit of the same footing, but mm. are tipping face forward in your version. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and both are probably true a little, uh-huh. depending right. on the day. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to share a very Buffalo thing that happened to me when a stranger, I was in the locker room because I swim, which under pandemic conditions is actually extremely pleasant because you get everything to yourself. But anyway, there was a person in the locker room. She's, I don't know retiree age, maybe 70. And we found out that we had to hustle because the gym was closing. And she started complaining to me about how she had to go bowling later. And it was, and I was like, lady, (laughs) don't go bowl. Like (laughs) either don't go bowling. (laughs) Wait, also (laughs) what time was this at? 
Oh, it was on a Saturday at noon. I know oh. the gym was closing, but it closes early. Okay. But she, yeah. So it was just, so first of all, Buffalonians are avid bowlers, you know, oh. cause it's an indoor sport. Sure. And, but also they are fulfillers of obligations, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they follow tradition unquestioningly and yep. maybe don't realize that they have choices mm-hmm. within those traditions. Yep. So she could have, for example, chosen not to bowl if she hated it so goddamn much or like looked at herself and said, maybe I chose to bowl because I actually quite like it. And yeah. so, but, it, but instead it was like this burdensome thing that she had to do <laughs> or, or that was also like her way of making conversation with a stranger, oh, by the way. Right. Yes. You know, so because also- she assumed that you'd be on the same page as her and be like, yeah. I know, right? If I had a dollar for every time I was forced to go bowling. <laughs> I know, exactly. I know. I have to eat nachos later. God, solidarity, man. <laughs> but also, Buffalonians like to speak to strangers a lot. And I think that their like, mode of engagement is complaining, you know? Oh, so they're friendly, but also resentful. Totally. (laughs) A Clevelander, I feel, is very similar, a Cleveland character. So Uh it's familiar to me. And Uh I I think they have their charms. Yeah, they do. Have we ever talked about, I'm sure I've mentioned this song to you, but you know, the performer Dar Williams um, has a song called Southern California Wants to Be Western New York. That is so funny. My spouse is from Southern California. Uh huh. I feel like this song is like ready made for him and you should check it out. And it's real. I think you would like it. It paints lots of fun pictures of Western Mm. New York and Mm -hmm. also a little bit of Southern California. But I feel like this is a missing verse from that song. And I think you should write it about. Oh, my God. Buffalonians and their, you know, constant need to there's there is some you know, it's like scratches an itch. There's some comfort and complaining about your obligations that I relate to, which makes me think maybe it's more of a Great Lakes thing than mm. just Oh my gosh, sure. Yeah. Or even larger than that, perhaps more of a Midwestern thing. Right. Uh, you know, to, to be. We should resentful. ask David Wayne. We should get David Wayne on here and see if he has a similar feeling about Northeast Ohio growing up then. I, it's a great, it should be number one on our list of questions for him. Yeah. The California, my experience of California via my spouse is that they are thusly, they are unburdened. They are unburdened by those obligations and feelings of tradition. Yeah. It's amazing. And the grinding, you know, the sense of like grinding guilt and obligation and, you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no choice. Like California is all about choice and inventing yourself. Mm-hmm. That's such a Western idea. Like, oh my God, go totally. West, young man, and you can totally. be who you want and, you know, rename yourself something else. And totally. Um, yeah, I like that idea. Maybe yeah. I'll start coming up with some new names for myself. Yeah, you could invent a religion for yourself. Also, I mean, when it's 79 degrees and sunny 100% of the time, like you don't even have to think about the clothes you need to wear every day, let alone. Just shorts and a t-shirt and some flip-flops. Yeah, Get out there, kid. 
go get yourself a nice coffee and live your life. Go hiking. Sailing. All the time. You know, this talk about, you know, all the places we're naming and the different personalities of them and, and kind of like hopping all over the country as we're talking about this kind of segues nicely into the topic I wanted to bring to you today. Let's talk about it right after this break. What song do you have for us today? I have a collection of songs around a theme with a little bit more focus on one in particular, but I wanted to talk a little bit about songs that pander to America by listing cities in the country. I've edited employee magazines for a long time at the different Mm. companies that I've worked for. And the one thing that people like more than anything is seeing pictures of themselves or of people that they know. And this is like a universal, I don't know what it is. It's like, who is the Greek God that saw himself in the Narcissus? Narcissus. Uh Yeah. River. It's just, we like, (laughs) we like reflections of ourselves, and we have strong identity to the places that we are from. Uh Or, you know, Hmm. places that we like that we've decided we have affinity for. And there are a couple songs from the 80s that really exploit this in a very ridiculous and obvious way. So Um, like the songs are basically like versions of your magazine, somebody flipping through and being like, hey, that's me. Exactly. Uh And I would say they're also kind of on this idea of, you know, the song Route 66, which is sure. just a big listing of towns Kingston, that you pass. Youngman, San Bernardino. Exactly. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. the one. I do. So in 1984, Huey Lewis in the News wrote mm-hmm. a song called Heart of Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in it, they just list a whole bunch of cities mm-hmm. and talk about rock and roll and why it's so great. And then they just say a bunch of cities. And I remember hearing this song in... And I had, it's on an album called Sports. Mm. It was their third album and is one of their best sellers. They had a bunch of singles. Now, you may know, a lot of people know Huey Lewis in the News because they sang the theme song from Back to the Future called The Power Mm. of Love. Very Um, familiar with the film as well as the song. Probably a film that's about as close to perfect as it it gets. That might Um, be true. They capitalized really on this sports album with a whole bunch of these songs, but then they would tour, right? Like that's how artists make a lot of money, even more so than from their albums. And when you are doing a live show, you love to address the audience. This is like the old trope of like, good evening, Detroit, or hello, Topeka, or whatever, right? I have to say Cleveland is usually the joke and the city in that joke. Completely. And Mm -hmm. I just watched Almost Famous last night, and there's a whole Mm. bit about Cleveland. They see Bowie at the hotel in Cleveland. But they, in this song, well, let's listen to it real quick. Everywhere there's music, real life music, bands with a million styles, but it's still that 
So they, they are listing all the different cities. All where the heart of rock and roll is beating, correct? Yes. And then what do they rhyme with beaten? <laughs> In Cleveland. And beaten do not rhyme. Well, they they do if you are Hugh Anthony Craig the <laughs> third, aka Huey Lewis, because uh. he rhymed Cleveland with beaten and and it worked for him. And I remember driving down the road, hearing this song on the radio and feeling like at turns, oh my God, he knows we exist, uh-huh. which uh-huh. was thrilling to me. Uh-huh. But also there, I f- remember feeling pandered to like, why do you have to mm-hmm. say all- but everybody mm. else's town is also mentioned in this thing. So it makes it a little less special. And I feel like you're just now listing mm-hmm. things. And that's mm-hmm. feels like less special. Could you just uh-huh. write a song about Cleveland? That would really be something. But no, you've got to throw in San Antonio too. Like, I don't know. Take something Seriously. away from it. Other people had the same reaction to this song. Blender Magazine, which is a, a music magazine in 2009 did a list called the 50 worst songs ever mm. and um it's Ooh. sixth it's sixth on the list so um, does that mean it's the sixth worst song or the 44th worst song it's it's five from the top five five away from the worst song what is the worst song you have to I tell us i knew you were gonna <laughs> ask that and i know the answer to it and the best okay thing wait about wait it, i have to guess okay what's the best thing about it that it does the same thing as Heart of Rock and Roll. It's it's very much terrible for the some of the uh, same reasons. Uh-huh. So it's not Armageddon It by Def Leppard. No, and I will fight you on that. Why do you hate that song so much? It's a good song. So, we'll, we'll have to talk about Def Leppard in a whole nother episode because you uh-huh. and I have very different feelings about as a band. I have some Def Leppard love. I know Don't you get love me wrong. Pour Some Sugar on Me because you're the one who said, have you heard this new song <laughs> called Pour Some Sugar on Me? It's amazing. And I, I was said like, it to I you in 1987. Yeah. And I was like, I haven't wow. heard that song. I need to go hear that song. Wow. Oh, yeah. gosh. I'm so honored. But okay, wait. So the song, I, we're, we got to get back to this worst song. So yeah. it panders, you're saying? Yes, it panders. And are you sure I've heard it? Like oh, it's yes. a it's a well known song. Oh yes, uh huh. And it's, it's a pop about... song. It's like yeah. a pop. Uh huh. Yeah. On the uh, when was it on the radio in the eighties? In the eighties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And it's oh, by I a wish band I could guess who it. has been around was around for decades. It was like the third decade that they had a hit in. Holy moly! 60s, 70s, and eighties. Yeah. So, what band could that be? Fleetwood Mac. The Grateful Dead, the Beatles, or some members of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Oh, it's a Rolling Stone song. No. Is it a Rolling Stone song? No. These um, are great guesses. But they would be probably like a classic rock type of band. Uh, oh, yeah. the Eagles? Is it an Eagles song? No. Good. These are great guesses, but no. I'll okay. give you a hint. This band yeah. changed their name three times. Why I'm- did they change their name? Oh, I'm okay. It's killing me. I can't guess anymore. Rebranded. Our listeners deserve to know. It is. What was what? Wait, what was their original name? What was the original name I of the mean, band? You'll, 
Yeah, that's okay. It'll reveal it. It'll be part of the reveal. Jefferson Airplane. Oh, so it's that we built the city. Yes, we built this city on rock and roll by Starship. Because remember, they were Jefferson Airplane, then they were Jefferson Starship, and then they were just Starship. I do remember. They became more space related. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) More increasingly so. And uh, this Blender article, Uh I'll link to it. It's so funny. They say the worst moment in the song is the line, who cares? They're always changing corporation names, says the Uh band that changed its name Uh three times. Right. This is Marconi played the Mamba. Uh That's that song. Oh uh-huh. my God. Listen to the radio, don't you? And they yeah. they do the same thing that they use some snippets of like a DJ in the Bay City area. He's talking about a beautiful day by the Bay, beautiful day in my city, because they're also from San Francisco, much like Huey Lewis in the news. But the, the Blender magazine in their write-up of Huey Lewis and the news Heart of Rock and Roll really hit the nail on the head. And I can't do better than what they say. So I'm going to quote it. The the author says, less a song than a craven attempt to curry favor from drunken arena (laughs) crowds trained to roar on cue when they hear their city's name mentioned. And that is precisely the thing that I hate about it. It's just like you threw these city names in this song so that people would lose their minds when you go to their city and play it for them. Except if they're playing in San Antonio, they're still singing the song and saying all these other na- city names. And so are the crowds in San Antonio just cheering when they hear their city name and then they just have to patiently sit through the other city names? Or- yes, but you know that they sing along, but then they scream the name of their city when that yeah. part comes on. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'd have to look into it and see how they, what, what the treatment was when the band played it, but you can bet that because Cleveland so punctuates the song and this verse, which at the time, this was when people were remembering that Cleveland is actually where the term was, the term rock and roll was coined and they put the rock and roll hall of fame there. This, this petitioning was all going on at the time. I think it's a great, like there are things about this song that I really like, but one of the things besides this very pandering approach that they've taken that I also am kind of bothered by because I feel like it's so obvious and on the nose is the, the bass drum does this heartbeat thing Mm. when they're talking about, the heart of rock and roll, it goes, dum, 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 dum. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. I remember I get that. it. Mm-hmm. It's a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have so many thoughts in my head. And first of all, I want to just ask what year the song came out. Do you have that? Just yeah. I mean, that? the album came out in September of 1983, but this peaked mm-hmm. at number five in May of 1984. Because also I'm thinking about the hands across America, sure, mm-hmm. you know, where people were sort of discussing how or had on their mind, like how we're linked and then wanted to like physically enact yep. that basically. Yep. But also you're reminding me of the Chevy ad campaign, which was the heartbeat of America, which yes. I think was introduced in the eighties. Yep. So, and obviously that was like a time when the American automotive industry was 
the the heartbeat of America was on life support. (laughs) And so how, what kind of like, given the actual conditions, what a like desperate attempt some of these things were to like keep people spirited and this, yeah, this patriotism, it's like, so down your throat and yes, look, look, I fully bought into all of it. And I love my country most of the time. I mean, you were a child and yeah, yeah. I was a kid, but I do remember feeling like a little bit of a, I just, it felt so in your face and I guess that's what the eighties was, but I really feel like it was a very forward sales job from a lot of these bands and, and even more so the next song I was going to tell you about. Yes. Well, but if you have an additional thought on this, you should give it to me before I move on. My additional thought is that I believe places like Cleveland or Buffalo like to be pandered to even more than places like San Antonio, because they are for decades have perceived themselves as underdogs and down on their luck. And so really, really love when they receive any kind of like national recognition. And so I'm sure the people in San Antonio were clapping and singing extra loud when that song played, but I don't think it was, the feeling was as intense as the people in Cleveland. Well, yeah, we got really teed up in that song. Put on a shelf right at the bridge there. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say like one exhibit from Buffalo recently was an HBO show whose title's escaping me now, but a character was holding a beer bottle from a Buffalo brewery Oh, in a scene that lasted maybe 90 seconds. Yeah. And there were two news stories about it. Was it what, which in beer Buffalo brand was it? I don't I mean, really remember. It I can't wasn't remember. Jenny, Genesee cream ale. Oh no, no. It was a, like a craft brewery. Okay. Got it. I guess Jenny is Rochester or someplace. And it's Rochester. Yeah, That's sorry, a different county, sorry. a different river, different <laughs> accent altogether. Is it a but different accent? Yes, I think it is. Oh. Yes. Because okay. Rochester is where it goes from the Northeastern vowel pronunciation to the Great Lakes vowel shift, like oh, the, the, the the change happens in Rochester. And so uh-huh. there's certain sp- specifics about the Rochester accent. But anyway, the point being, I feel like every, and also every time any celebrity dies, they try to find like the 10 minutes they spent in Buffalo and like make a big deal and make them a Buffalonian. They did it with Aretha Franklin. They did it with Sammy Hagar. Wait, Sammy and, Hagar died? Wait, I mean, no. Do you mean Eddie Van one. Halen? Eddie Van Halen. Got it. Got it. Whoa. I was like, breaking news. Listeners, listeners, (laughs) please forgive my, please forgive me. I do mean Eddie Van Halen. Oh my gosh. That was a cardinal sin. Anyway, the point being that all these cities that feel like they get disrespected, you know, like love it when they even more like San Antonio is like, whatever, dude, we're awesome. Yeah. So of course you're saying our name, but like Cleveland would say, did you hear it? He said our name. That means we're awesome after all. In your I think face. You're right. Yes. And I yeah. and I get it. And I feel like we need the love a little bit more than yeah. you know. I think Philadelphia knows it's awesome. Okay. Right. They've got right. Rocky. There's a statue. Like there was the founding right. of the country. Like everybody knows Philly is great. 
But you don't hear people talking about Cleveland or Buffalo that often. And so it's extra exciting when they do. And when they're talking about the fact that it's good and not making jokes about how you're hot in Cleveland or whatever. Yeah. Or you're hot in Cleveland. Which is when they're not making jokes about how ugly everyone is. (laughs) Yes. I like it here. I'm here by choice. I will say one additional funny thing about this song, The Heart of Rock and Roll, is and Huey Lewis. And I love Huey Lewis. I saw them in concert at the Richfield Coliseum at some point after this album. I don't remember which album, but they were, I mean, they are a hardworking band. So I, I'm yeah. all on board and I love that album. It's great. One of my favorite jokes was on the TV show Up All Night, which practically no one watched, but Maya Rudolph was in it. I totally did. I totally loved it. A totally hilarious Will Arnett. Yes. Yes. Was wearing Will was wearing a Huey Lewis in the news t-shirt and his his spouse, Christina Applegate, accused him of wearing it non-ironically. And he was like, I love them. They're amazing. And I was like, the show is just like written for me. There's a joke about it in American Psycho. Where about Patrick Huey Bateman, Lewis? about yes, he says the album. He, the main character in American Psycho is that the character's name is Patrick Bateman, and he says that this album, the sports album, is when he considers the band to have really come into their own commercially and artistically. I do remember learning some trivia that I can't remember now what Elvis Costello's first album was. It was the one where he lost to the Starland Vocal Band for Best New. Mm-hmm. But the his band, the attractions for that album are the news. Like it's really? the same musicians. Yes. If not 100% you know, 80% or something like that. I mean, so it's just like, like you're saying, like hardworking, talented musicians, you know, who that's so great when there's a job that needs to be done and like pop music, you know? And I think Huey Lewis was in on jokes because he also was a actor in a Robert Altman movie that I'm forgetting the title now. And everyone was like, Huey Lewis. And I think he was nude and even like full frontal. And I think we saw Huey Lewis's penis. I'm going to have to look this up. It's called like slices or singles or snippets or yes right um, exactly lives moments something like that I can't remember yes. what it's called but tons of people are in it I remember watching yes it. exactly right yes I guess and that's I think, every Robert Altman movie that we've just described but I think I know the one you're talking about right it's I think it's called Huey Lewis's dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah who could forget it <laughs> the movie rated r <laughs> you know the other song i was going to mention in this Mm -hmm. in this episode is another kind of pandering song but i think intentionally Mm -hmm. so perhaps Mm -hmm. because of the way it was used is the song living in america by james brown which came out in Mm -hmm. 1985 Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. after huey lewis did it and mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. lots of people pandered, lots of people pandered the Huey Lewis stuff, Living in America won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And boy, is there a lot to say. Now, one thing I would tell you is that <laughs> Mr. Brown did not write this song. Mm-hmm. It is composed by 
uh, two guys named Dan Hartman and Charlie Midnight. Mm. Have you ever heard of either one of them? Mm-mm. Well, Dan Hartman is a pretty interesting dude in his own right. And Charlie Midnight, first of all, he's got a fantastic name, but he's also written like a million things. Like he wrote the mm. score for The Bodyguard, the, the Whitney Houston movie, just like millions uh-huh. of TV shows and movies. Uh-huh. Dan Hartman had a hit himself in the 80s called I Can Dream About You, which was also not number six about you. in 1984. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, that's the one. He um, he was the singer of it also? Yeah. He wrote it oh. and he sang it. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote it for a movie. He sort of started out like as a commercial songwriter. So he wrote commercials, including like for Gillette in the early 80s. But then filmmakers would ask him to write songs for their movies and he wrote I Can Dream About You for this movie called Streets of Fire and in the movie it's performed by a fictional vocal group but then for the soundtrack album he swapped his own voice in and so that's the song that became a hit and became a breakthrough song Mm -hmm. for him and in the movie he plays like a bartender in a bar and there's a tv on in the bar and it's playing clips of the the band and the movie singing the song. Mm-hmm. Another little fun 80s tidbit is it in the video, the video Vixen, the girl, the the love interest in the video is played by an actress named Joyce Heiser, who was in that movie, Just One of the Guys, where she plays hmm. a dude. Okay. Or, or a woman who um, dresses as a man to I don't remember why. I can't remember the plot. Exactly. One of the many movies, because wasn't that also Linda Hunt in The Year of Living Dangerously? I think that was the name of the movie about like an Indonesian journalist. Oh and God. Linda Hunt won Best Actress, I guess, but she played a man. Did she? I don't know. It I was, don't think anyway. I've ever seen that. Because, One of the guys. Oh. Has very yeah. has almost nothing to do with any of plot like that. It is the most I see. Okay, yeah, it is like a high school, you know, like to indicate to the person that she's been fooling. She opens her shirt and shows her breasts off, and he's like, "What?" And but wasn't there also a, a Barbara Streisand movie like that too? Yentl. Does she dress as a boy? In that? Yeah, doesn't she? And there's like, is there like a, yeah, is there like a breast Mm -hmm. reveal? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying it's just an odd little pattern. I guess it's a thing. Yeah. Anyway, Dan Hartman, this little sweet angel, he's got the sweetest face. He died in 1994 of HIV AIDS. He was a closeted gay man, but a child musical prodigy in his youth. And, oh, he also wrote Free Ride by the Edgar Winter Group. Come on and take a free ride. I don't think I ever knew that was Edgar Winter who sang that. Uh, me either for a long time. But all anyway, right. let's get back to James Brown. Oh my gosh. The song entered the Billboard Top 40 January 11th, 1986. It uh-huh. reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100. It was also a big top five hit in the United Kingdom, which is interesting for a song and called it, Living it, in America. Uh, wasn't it the Rocky Four song also? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was written for Rocky Four and prominently featured in that film. So, you know, that film, the plot of it is that Apollo Creed, played by Carl Weathers. Thank you. 
he proudly enters the ring. Remember, his whole thing is like he's super patriotic, very American, wears the mm-hmm. red, white, and blue boxing shorts. So he enters the ring to fight against the Russian boxer, Ivan Drago. And mm-hmm. spoiler alert, Drago <laughs> kills Apollo Creed in the ring. But Brown James Brown sings the song that's played during this ring entrance, hence the point, right? Like Apollo Creed's whole thing was hyper patriotism. That was his kind of shtick as a fighter. And the video for this also intercuts footage from the movie, plus concert footage of James Brown performing it, plus just random pastiche of American images. So trucks Mm -hmm. on the highway and farmland and rolling farmland and cities and people punching in and the New York Stock Mm. Exchange and just (laughs) the most, you know, diverse little clip Mm. of everything so American. And it also features all of these random listing of cities. And that's part of the song as he's just singing the names of cities. Let's listen to a little clip of it. You know, it's catchy. It's got a big horn section. They were supplied by this group called the Uptown Horns. Here's a little fun fact about them. They're the New York section that backed Jay Giles' band on their Freeze Frame album. Uh And they're also the horn section in Love Shack by the B-52s, which is fun. So they're they're basic horn professionals. Yes. They're who Uh you call when you need a horn section in Mm the 80s. Also playing on the track, uh, obviously James Brown is doing lead vocals. Stevie Ray Vaughan plays lead guitar. How about which that? Which is so, huh. so interesting. Weirdo Yankovic recorded a parody called Living with a Hernia. <laughs> <laughs> and the line in the song, got to have a celebration. <laughs> he says, got to have an operation. <laughs> do, 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 do. Weird Al, an American treasure. (laughs) Isn't he though? Do you know much about James Brown? Well, only for a while, it's only what the rest of the world kind of knew. And, you know, that he had some personal troubles, maybe not, you know, the greatest, the kindest person in the world. And he was, I feel like he was a tabloid figure for our childhood a lot. Mm -hmm. And and of course, I knew the nickname, the hardest working man in show business. He also has, doesn't he have a bit in, he does, he's the preacher in the Blues Brothers. Yes. Uh-huh. In okay. the scene in the church when they have their conversion. Yep. And that's one of my favorite all-time movies. And so I so I knew him from that, certainly. But a, a listener, one of our fans, sent an article along that I read, there's it's a series of articles, I guess. I only read the first one and and it filled in a lot of detail that kind of explained some of the ways that he was in the news so much. So 
I guess he seems like one of the figures where like there's rumors and, Mm. and it's kind of a, like where there's smoke, there's fire type of situation. Like everybody (laughs) just said these rumors, but like, really, if the rumors are floating out, then there's something like really, really, really bad happening. Mm -hmm. Like with Harvey Weinstein, same, you know, or yes. Michael Jackson, people made the same. So I don't know. It just, so I learned more from that that explained the fire that produced the smoke that we got in the 80s and 90s about him. Completely. And he, this song is really like one of those things that I think introduced our generation to him mm-hmm. um, because it was kind of mm-hmm. his, co- like a comeback record for him. He yeah. Recorded right. 17 singles that went to number one on the Billboard R&B charts, and he wow. holds the record for the most singles listed on the Billboard Hot 100 that didn't right. reach number one. Oh my God, it's an interesting record to hold. But he had lots of hits. Yeah, but you know, not many in the 80s, except for this one. So, so his hits were in the 60s or 60s, 60s and, and 70s. And 70s. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, funk and soul and they, and R&B, and they helped earn him some of his, his nicknames. So people call him the Godfather of Soul or Mr. Dynamite or Soul Brother Number One. And he was, yes, totally hardest working man in show business because he toured and he toured and he toured and he toured and he he had very elaborate stage presence, lots of sparkly costumes. You'll see lots of people who used to work for him talking about what a stickler he was for the costumes and they they had to be like just right and lots of theatricality in his performances and things like that but what I knew about him was I think he had some trouble with the IRS and Mm -hmm. I think there was maybe like Mm -hmm. some domestic uh, Mm -hmm. violence charges Mm -hmm. and beyond that I didn't really remember much Yes, uh, but in looking into it for this episode, boy, did this guy have, yeah, uh, a a long and like there is story to tell here, and I'm mm-hmm. just gonna scratch the surface, but mm-hmm. several turns in prison, including when he was 16. He was born in the 30s in South Carolina. His mother was just 16 when she had him. His mother left the family because her marriage was abusive. And then he, his family then settled at one of his aunt's brothels. What, what, a, yeah. what a childhood. And so he stayed in school till sixth grade. And then at 16, he was convicted of robbery and sent to a juvenile detention center in Georgia. And he did three years in prison as a teenager for theft. And then he was arrested in 1978 for theft. And then 1988, wow, what a year for this guy. Arrested in 1988 for assault. This is it now. Now that the now, so he's arrested. I also gather his childhood, which sounds tumultuous, was also quite violent. Oh, I think so. But so you said you gave his like childhood and teens and then and then he became famous. So famous he, and then in the 80s now starts getting arrested again. Yes, more trouble in the 80s. So and yeah. really in, in the 70s. So he was known in prison in his teens for being just a fantastic singer. And then he was like a gospel singer for a while. And then, yeah. you know, he hit a big in the 60s and then carried it into the 70s when he was sort of at the the peak of his fame. Uh-huh. And then really what happened is 
drugs is what happened. So that was really, I think, at yeah. the root of his issues in in the eighties. Drug and weapon not just charges. and not just any drugs, but PCP. PCP. I understand of yes. all the drugs. I mean, I am somebody who understands the idea of a like functional addict, you know, and cocaine or heroin addiction. It, I, I feel like I hear stories of people living fairly productive lives with addictions too, or even booze for that matter. Right. But PCP yeah. sounds like a different order with hallucinations and violence and yes. delusions and things yes. like that. I agree. It seems like an occasional sort of drug, uh-huh. not something that you uh-huh. use for a long time. But uh-huh. from all accounts, it does sound like this was the issue that caused him the most trouble mm-hmm. and led to lots of, or seemingly led to lots of, of these charges, including mm-hmm. like a high speed chase mm-hmm. on the freeway. And then there are lots of other charges, sexual harassment, domestic violence, assault. Yeah. Right? Interestingly, there's also quite a bit on his Wikipedia page about his politics, which are very uh- interesting. I want to hear about them, but I just want to quickly say, listeners, do not get me wrong. I'm not saying cocaine or heroin addictions are good. <laughs> Lest I, the opioid epidemic in the U.S. is very present to me. I, re, you know, so I don't think that. But it's like far more common. Good I think is the point you're making. Yes. Right. You hear about that more. I've never mm-hmm. heard of somebody having an angel mm-hmm. dust addiction. Hmm. And until, angel, until I, now. I know, I feel like I saw a lot of very dramatically violent videos about rats and mice on angel dust as kids in the seventies and eighties. Yes. It was and like there a, were all those stories of like people jumping out windows on things. So yeah. I, and it was like know. a biker gang thing too. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like anyway, yes, okay. Lots of violent behavior. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not that the other drugs don't, I mean, I don't know. What do I know about any right. of these? I've never done any of them, but Right. So his political beliefs kind of all over the place. He supported Hubert Humphrey in 1968, who's a Democrat, and he mm-hmm. then was labeled an Uncle Tom for that. So he, he hmm. got lots of criticism from hmm. pro-Black activists and because he was sort of he wrote a song, a pro-American funk song called America is My Home, and he kind of was yeah. critical of protesters of the Vietnam War. And then he started supporting Richard Nixon, <laughs> which in retrospect seems nuts, but I guess people did. And uh, but then but then he backed out. <laughs> well, of they before. hadn't they didn't have the knowledge that we have now of Richard Nixon. Right, right. Um, it still seems a little nuts, even without that knowledge. Yes. But okay. I, I mean, for for an entertainer anyway. I mean sure. But again, I wasn't really alive then. So my Not knowledge really. of it really comes from the TV show Family Ties. So what do I know <laughs> about Richard Nixon really? But you also read a little bit of history. Sure. Yes, I guess. Uh-huh. And I saw that Oliver Stone movie. So anyway, it's it, it just interesting. He he did do lots of performances then later for the troops overseas and things like that. So uh-huh. it seems like he came back to mm-hmm. your more traditional entertainment position on such matters. But so he died on Christmas Day in 2006. Mm-hmm. Married four times, has mm-hmm. lots of children. Mm-hmm. And that story that you're talking about, I read the whole thing. It's very mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. with tons of supporting evidence and little video clips and pictures mm-hmm. and little mm-hmm. snippets of notes and notebook notes and 
it goes, it is a bonkers story, but mm-hmm. it essentially fleshes out this idea. And I will tell you, if you go to the Wikipedia page, which is a good place to start for stuff like this, but you've got to do more research than just one source because there's one line in the Wikipedia page about some people believe that his death was not due to age or pneumonia, which is what the the coroner's report says. Some people believe Mm -hmm. he was murdered. And so if you read this story in CNN, that's essentially what it's about. And it also talks about the fact that the person who kind of alleged the story also says that Brown had his ex-wife killed. And it it just, my God, it's like a big conspiracy Mm. theory wrapped up in so many different places. And it's nuts and it's mm-hmm, boy it mm-hmm. is the salacious that that nexium documentary did not deliver to you uh-huh, so i encourage uh-huh. you to I'll make your way it. through it it is yeah. pretty intense and intensive yeah um anyway re- read more about it it's interesting but there's also a piece published recently here in november of 2020 by a professor at the university of louisville so this is the the theme of this podcast, right? Is like take things from the 80s and then look at them through a, a current critical lens. Mm-hmm. And this this professor, his name is Randy Whetstone Jr. He's a clinical assistant professor in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Louisville. And he wrote this really interesting story about loving the movie Rocky Four and watching mm-hmm. it again. And then you know, seeing Apollo Creed come into this song by James Brown, which is about living in America and romanticizes the idea of America. And, you know, they rhyme nation with celebration. It's that kind of song. That's right? a real rhyme. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's better than Cleveland and Beaton. Arm, Armageddon it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that are kind of a reach. But his point in it is, if you look up who wrote this song is Dan Hartman and Charlie Midnight. So two white men wrote this song. Charlie Midnight was a white guy. Yeah. And James Brown is singing it and Apollo Creed is walking into it. And Apollo Creed gets killed by the white boxer and in the movie. And the, the idea of living in America is like so positive. But, you know, then you've got the Godfather of Soul singing it. And you, you're asking people to relate to it through this, but is this the experience that Black people are having in America today? It's like this song that is really about anything can happen and we got to celebrate it, but that's not the experience that Black people have experienced here in this nation and still today. And that really puts an interesting modern take on it when you consider the songwriters and, and the usage and things like that. Right. Um, and the part of that CNN piece that's so interesting, if you continue with it, is that the the third piece of it is really about his accountant and his lawyer using James Brown and kind of keeping him plied with drugs to take his money. His and lawyer, Dallas, I think was his last name, like Buddy Bobby Dallas, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Buddy Dallas. Buddy yeah. Dallas. Okay. That, same, that lawyer? Yeah, but the, but the point was they were using, they're they're applying him with drugs. They were then also the accountant was keeping him living in fear because he had fear of the government from his experiences mm-hmm. with the IRS and 
my mm-hmm. God, from being incarcerated several times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically just did what they told him. And he was right. practically illiterate. I mean, he only made it through sixth right. grade. So he did not have strong reading skills or reading comprehension skills. Right. And all of that is, you know, also very interesting. But he, what he knew how to do was entertain, but but it took a toll on him. And, you know, ultimately he passed of pneumonia and heart diseases is what is what the record says now. What the record says now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a little surprised that, I mean, I'm glad that story came out and I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. I just feel like we should all have known all of it all along in a weird way. You know, it just, he was just taken to be this kind of, by the time the eighties came around and we were kids and young adults into the nineties, it was, he was just like a kind of a joke tabloid type figure, you know? Huh. And I think that some of that is because of this sort of like Vegasy style he had. It was like lots of rhinestones and colorful. And, you know, just this feeling of like, when you're young, you want young thing. You want the new thing. You don't want the thing, you know, the performer who's been around for 40 years that your parents like or whatever. You're interested in You want the the new new Fleetwood Mac album. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> or the new, you know, that hip new share single. <laughs> right. I have some things to say about Rocky Four. I don't, it's a little bit of a joke in our house because my aforementioned spouse is a Rocky fan and I can't keep all, track of all the Rockies. Like, really? Yeah. Um, oh, that's surprising to me. That he's a fan? Yeah. I mean, because he's a friggin' Gen X dude, you I know, guess. and they, they were fed to him as things to like as a kid, you know, <laughs> and the first Rocky might be a lot w- with the Karate Kid might be one of those perfect movies. Okay, sure. I mean, I no, think a lot of it, isn't it on one, like in the top 10 of AFI's top 100 movies or something? Maybe. It's yeah. considered to be a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So we joke about it. And I don't know how many Rocky movies are, but there's like regular Rocky, there's Mr. T Rocky, there's Russian Rocky, there's, you know, like all the different Rockies. Yes. Rocky four, I guess, is the Russian Rocky. And that's the one that we just saw. I just saw the last 10 minutes of which. So after Apollo Creed getting killed. And so it was really just like the big finale of Rocky versus Drago Mm -hmm. or whatever his name was. Yep. And it was just very, well, I like, I guess, just to extend the metaphor, because you were thinking of the movie as like a bit of a metaphor for how Black Americans were treated. And it's funny that it ends with somebody from Philly saving the United States reputation, because that's by, maybe by what winning a boxing match. Yeah, <laughs> right. But I just watching it, I thought, God, I totally remember being in the 80s when that was the enemy was, you know, the USSR. And we were all sort of supposed to be united against this enemy and how we just haven't had anything like that since the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, now that Kazakhstan is our friend and we're all considering going there for a vacation because it's very nice. Because it's very nice. (laughs) Yes. And so, you know, we had the Taliban and I guess ISIS, you know, but then people read that like racially instead of politically. And there's not been any like big like them 
And so therefore maybe there's not any us to form Mm -hmm. in the negative Mm -hmm. space around it. And there's all this stuff about like America divided everyone, all the journalists like to have that as the story that they're telling. And it's, it's probably true. I mean, people have like personal family anecdotal evidence about that, but maybe that's because there isn't like a big fat Soviet Union out there that we could all agree is for us to get on board with and bind us together and share hatred of yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I guess they were aiming nuclear weapons at us, and so that was pretty Mm -hmm. scary time. It just that just seems like that was the you know the story of the 20th century was us versus them, and then the dissolution of them basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then, where does that leave us? But. It's really good. And then the Rocky wins the match, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, and then he makes a little speech about how we should all live in peace and harmony. And it's so adorable that that was like thought to be the thing at the time. And the Russians are kind of like, maybe he has a point. And and you think like, well, maybe boxing will save the world. Yeah, exactly. And this is why Gorbachev then adopted the the glasnost and Mm -hmm. there was the great opening. And yeah, it was because of this movie. Mm -hmm. Is this the one that Bridget Nielsen is in as well? Totally. Because I think she's the the girlfriend of the Drago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Love her. For sure. And they do, I think the credits roll over living in America. How could they not? Yeah. In the video, Apollo Creed's got his Uncle Sam top hat on and the cape and his boxing uh-huh. um, trunks. Uh-huh. And he's like dancing on the stage with James okay. Brown. And he's like, you know, jamming to living in yeah. America. Well, once let me just get, do a little separate shout out to Carl Weathers, who was on Arrested Development and had like an extremely funny role there. And also now has been in some episodes of The Mandalorian. And yeah, totally. That's incredible. Yes. yes. Can, can we also give a shout out, speaking of Arrested Development, to Joe mm-hmm. and Anthony Russo, our fellow oh, Clevelanders. Clevelanders. Oh, my God. Don't even. Yes, we can. Hi. We, hi, Joe hi, and guys. Anthony. And have I. I'm sure I've told you that they went to my grade school. They went to St. Francis. I feel like this me. is in the need to know about Margaret. Yes. <laughs> no, did you, were they older than you? Yeah, but only by like two or three years. Yeah. Uh, and their younger sister was my younger sister's really good friend in grade yeah, school. So I see. Yeah. So do you recall on Arrested Development, there's a newscaster who's regularly featured? Yes, but I can't news- remember who it is. Well, his name is John Beard, and he was a newscaster in Southern California, which is why he's featured in Arrested Development. Got it. Which, by the way, just to bring it back to the place's character, there's for a little while I was making a joke about Arrested Development being like a documentary expose about Southern California, not a fictional story, (laughs) because it is just as weird as that. But in any case, so John Beard then moved to Buffalo, New York (laughs) and became a newscaster here and has since retired, but he lives around the block from us right now. Have you made friends with him? Totally. So he walks his dog past our house all the time. And this is a newscaster that Chad remembers from childhood. Oh my God, that is mind blowing. It totally is. And so one time, finally, Chad got it. Well, first of all, we used to constantly like if we saw him outside, we'd be like, John Beard's out front, John Beard. And like, and we'd all freak out. 
Finally, Chad got the nerve to go up to him and be like, John Beard, like I watched you as a kid and then I loved you on Arrested Development and now your dog is so cute. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so happy and pleased to be noticed. And now we regularly wave hello. And he stopped and said he liked our Black Lives Matter sign on our front yard. And And I follow him on Twitter and he regularly posts really lovable things. And so we love him and he's our neighbor. That's so fun. It's so fun. Yay, John Beard. Mm -hmm. I'm happy for him that he has found a home in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. I wonder what he thinks of cup and char pepperoni. I would love to know. I don't think, I don't know why he moved here in his career. I guess, I don't know how the job market works for. It's a happening media market. I guess that's it. Yeah. So I don't know that he's from here, but I would like to ask him about cup and char pepperoni. That is a good question. I feel like I need some now for dinner. So I'm going to have to go Google that and figure out how to simulate it here in my middle of Ohio kitchen. If you wanted to create the true Buffalo pizza experience, what you would do is you would add about a I don't know, quarter cup of sugar to the sauce. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Real sweet. And then a real, real thick and doughy crust that's not totally cooked. So it's got, it's a little bit gluey, you know, where it's real thick. Yeah. And then you get that sugary sauce on Mm. and then you get your little grease cups on there. And that is Buffalo pizza. That's going to tip you right over into the diabetes you've been courting and skirting Mm -hmm. the last nine months. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just me. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> it sounds delicious. Yeah. If you're looking to tip the tip that scale, then this is the <laughs> that's the food for you. Thank you for your recommendation. Gonna check uh, it out. Totally. If I no was problem. going to Buffalo for Thanksgiving, which I used to do for most of my life, but am mm-hmm. not doing this year for obvious pandemic reasons, mm-hmm. uh, I would stop by someplace and get a slice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we get them every year on Christmas Eve. So yeah, those were some really good songs. And I love talking about the character of places because I, I'm sure it's one of my least likable personality traits, but I like feeling inquisitive about different areas, characters and making a little bit fun of them. You know, then this is the episode for you. And I think you can go (laughs) listen to all these songs on our Spotify channel, where Mm -hmm. I always list the songs we talk about. If you feel Mm -hmm. like you need to listen to the entire, we built this city by starship. Mm -hmm. I'll put it there for you. We need to talk more about that because they left Grace Slick and White Rabbit so far behind. You know, I think Grace Slick was not involved past Jefferson she's, Airplane. No, yeah, she sings We Built the City. She's on that. And she's really? on Yes, and she also sings on uh, what was the other big hit they had from the movie Mannequin? Nothing's gonna stop us now. There Is you that go. Them? Nothing's gonna stop us now. Mm-hmm. That's Grace Slick singing on that song. Mm-hmm. Now you can you can take a trip in your mind anytime by listening to these songs and just, you know, cheer loud when you hear the name of the city that you like and it's just like being there yeah totally i'm totally gonna do that yeah so i invite you to travel in your mind through music yeah i'm glad you enjoyed it 
Very much so. And I can't wait to finish the rest of that James Brown article. It's so bonkers. It is. Enjoy. And then Mm -hmm. text me and tell me what you thought. Will do. Okay. I will talk to you next time. I look forward to it. Well, we did it. We burned another song and we hope you enjoyed it and danced around the fire. If you want to suggest a song or join our conversation, find us on Instagram. We're at Sick Burns Pod, on Twitter at, at Sick 80s, or on Facebook as Sick Burns. And we'd love to get an email from you. Send it to us at burningthe80s at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet gotten the message that we're desperate to interact with you, but in a totally cool and standoffish way, maybe this will do it. We also have a website and you should definitely use it. Visit sickburnspodcast.com to leave a comment or a voicemail. Ciao for now.